So I'm in the airport, if you can't tell by the announcements behind me. Um, if it gets too annoying, let me know, and then I'll just never talk again. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. For now. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript, the good parts, build web applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, and advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jammer link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jammer. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support and high performance all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 140 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Jameson Dance. Hey, friends. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from the bowels of Provo. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick reminder to go check out JS Remote Conf. It's a remote conference about JavaScript, so go sign up. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Jen Schiffer. Hi. I hope you're ready to jump the shark. <laughs> <laughs> you want to introduce yourself real quick, Jen? Sure. Uh, my name is Jen Schiffer. I'm an engineer at Boku, uh, mostly doing JavaScript and PHP. I'm also an artist, and I do a lot of art with code and talking about it and making stuff to facilitate the creation of art with code. And I also am a text satire writer, a satirist and humorist. So yeah, a bunch of things. Not good at any of them. Now, what does Boku do? Boku is a consulting company. We do contract projects with various clients. Um, that's sort of what I do. I just build JavaScript apps for people. Uh, we also do education, so we'll do like on-site training or we'll offer courses out of our office or other areas. Um, we also have a big component of the company is open source. We all have 25% open source time, so all of us are heavily involved in different open source projects. Awesome. I was How long say. have you worked for them? Uh, I worked there since April. Um, before that, I was working at the National Basketball Association where I wasn't doing any open source stuff and working on just like one thing, the stat site. Uh, and I kind of needed a change of pace, and I also wanted to be able to open source the stuff that I was building. And so I went to Boku, and it's awesome. I love it there. I work with a lot of really brilliant, awesome people and get to meet even more just through doing all the open source stuff and speaking at conferences and whatever. So my question is, can you still dunk? I know it's been a few months since you left the NBA, but right. do you still have the skills? Too. No, they don't let women play. Oh, what? no. What? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> no, no. The, actually, the WNBA is part of the NBA, which a lot of people thought that the WNBA was like a protest to the NBA. WNBA is the Women's League, but it's actually a part of it. The NBA had the uh, regular NBA, the D League, which is sort of like minor league for basketball and WNBA. Uh, I can't dunk. I'm only 5'10", but I was taller than most of the guys that I worked with. So I feel like if you were to put your money on any of those uh, developers, it would be me. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. So I want to ask you about Make 8-Bit Art, 
which is, well, I'll describe it and then you tell me how wrong I am. It's a web app for making um, little 8-bit drawings in the browser and then you can export them and do whatever you want with them, right? Correct. That's exactly it. So how did you decide to make this? Well, first of all, it's rad. But second of all, how did you decide to make it? Well, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I years ago, I mean, this project's been around for a few years. I wanted to learn JavaScript. I was doing Java and PHP and just feeling stagnant. And I saw that JavaScript was sort of like taking off and there were really cool people that were doing JavaScript. And so I needed a project to sort of motivate me because whenever I want to learn something new, I can't just like do like to do MVC and like Hello World, stuff like that. I need something that's sort of art related because that keeps me motivated. I just have such like a weird mindset when trying to learn. And at the time I, I had been making a lot of pixel art and there wasn't really anything in the browser that I can do. I needed something portable. I wanted something in the browser, not native. The native stuff that was cool, you had to like compile through X tools every time you wanted to run it. And that was kind of a pain. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, I could probably make this in JavaScript because HTML5 Canvas, I had had just read about it. And I was like, oh, well, Canvas, you draw on, so I could probably make it that. And so that's what it became. And, and now it's this pretty neat, cute web app that I have open source. So I've had other people contribute stuff to it. Uh, and once in a while, I go in there and, and add features and stuff like that. But... For the most part, I use it almost every day to just create pixel art. So where is a link to some of the art you've created? <laughs> I don't have like a specific place where I've been like putting stuff. I was using Elo, which is pretty hilarious, to post pixel art and stuff like that. And then I sort of took a break a couple of months ago because October through December, I've just been traveling all over and going to all these conferences. So I had to like focus on writing talks and being social which sort of gets me away from, from making art. And so I'm just starting to get back into to doing that. But if you go to like elo.co slash jen, J-E-N-N, I think that's the site where I was posting stuff. I'm getting also, flipped off over on that site. Oh, that I, be, I, yep, yep. I think that's, that's me. Yeah. That's correct. That's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, have, so, you have a wonderful sounds little about finger. Right. <laughs> sounds about right. Those do yeah. look like basketball players' hands. Long, delicate, yeah. You could definitely grip a Soft, ball well with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's it. There's there's I I have a a problem like trying to find one place to like put all of my stuff in. I'm all over. I mean, I think the one place that I have concentrated one type of my artwork, I guess you can say, is Medium, which I write my satire in. All like whenever I write satire, it's always on that Medium blog. But whenever I make anything else, it's just like all over the place. Whatever is just easy for me. I had a blog running Ghost that I wrote my serious post on, and then I tried to update it, and I just completely bricked it. So the site exists, but I can't update it at all. <laughs> and I just haven't had the motivation to like reinstall Ghost or whatever. So like I just won't be serious until I have the motivation to either make a new blog or, I don't know, move other stuff. I try to use everything like new that comes out when it comes out. Like I got into Elo. And then, like, everybody got into it and started hating on it. And the, like, Ghost, when Ghost came out, I, like, made a blog with Ghost. And it's incredibly buggy because I hadn't updated it in, in forever. I heard of this new thing called WordPress that I think I'm going to try out next. <laughs> heard of that? Well, I, I hear some coming. of the cool kids are using it, you know, the early adopters. Yeah. Try and hop on that bandwagon. So, um, Make 8-Bit Art is a really cool project to me because it's kind of, like, it works on multiple levels. So first of all, it's like you said, it's a tool to enable other people to create art. And I feel like I've seen lots of people who aren't developers just make cool stuff on it. They just find out about it and then post cool things that they made, which is awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's really great. I love that part. But the other thing is, I think I saw the slides from a talk you did about it or something where you kind of take this almost contrarian attitude about the technology behind it and talk about how we get so caught up in the newest framework and the sweetest tools and you're just like, whatever, I'm going to use jQuery and like it's just going to work and that's fine and it doesn't have to have React and Angular and Ember all on the same page and doing amazing stuff. It's just a cool project for its own sake, not because of the tech behind it. Is that accurate at all? Yeah. I've talked a bunch of times about Make 8-Bit Art and different aspects of it, like how to actually make something like that yourself because it's really easy. 
I gave a talk about the issues that I've dealt with open sourcing it, specifically people complaining about the technology that like I use for it. You know, I gave a satirical talk at JSConf in May um, where I released this fake algorithm. Well, it's a real algorithm, it just doesn't do anything called Jort Sort. And I open sourced the site and I was using Grunt and immediately people were like, why are you using Grunt? Why aren't you using Gulp? Blah, 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 blah. And not talking, and not talking, and not talking about the project itself, which was just like, man, like F you. Like I put a lot of time to make this beautiful site that has parallax on it. And you're complaining about the tools that I use. You know, who doesn't care about the tools I use to make that site? Non-developers who are going on the site, you know? When I, there are a lot of people that aren't developers that use make 8-bit art. Probably more non-devs use that than any other project that I've made. And probably most projects that a lot of us like make. Cause I feel like a lot of us are just making tools to other developers, which is really awesome. We need those. But then we forget about the non-developer users. And so we get caught in these arguments of like what we should be using to build it. But the comic book artist or the, the game Designers or game designers who are designing their game sprites just using this, which is insane to me. They don't care what I use or, you know, anything. And so it's important for me to think about them because I need to make sure that the application is accessible to them so they can, like, get it in the browser or if they need to install it locally on their machine, I have to provide them a way to do that easily. Um, and that's something that I'm working on still. So yeah, that's that's just something I've encountered by making this project, because it's interesting. A lot of my other stuff that I open source is stuff for other developers to use, and so of course you have to think about that. And even stuff for non-developers you have to think about, because if you want people to contribute, that's like also really important. So I can dilute my project with all these frameworks and task builders and stuff like that. But every time you add something like that, you're raising the wall that keeps the project between you and the people that you want to develop with it. So yeah, it's it, it's like just one of the struggles besides building an app is figuring out what to use for it so that you're not keeping uh, contributors away. The way you said non-developer users, I know I'm going to slip up in one of these times say non-player characters. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, it seems like as far as like grunt versus gulp, you know, whatever works, there are things that I use in my stack that aren't the current hotness, but they work for me and I don't have time to go learn the new thing yet. I'm curious though, it seemed like in your talk, you were talking a little bit about bringing people into coding through your art. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you see that happen very often? Yeah. So before I was at the NBA, I was working in academia. I was, a graduate student. I got my master's in CS and then I became an administrator in the department that I got my two degrees in. And so like the department administrator's job was basically to do everything that the chair was too busy to do, um, except I didn't have a PhD. And so like I did a lot of curriculum writing and teaching and recruiting and advising students. I had about 300 students that were my responsibility, which is hilarious that they oh. allowed that to happen. Uh, <laughs> I'm shocked. Do the they world know lets... that you're famous? I'm not famous. I would say popular on Twitter, which is like a whole bottom of the barrel version of fame, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but yeah, some of the students did like follow me on Twitter. But back then my Twitter was mostly private because I had parents that were like interested in my presence because I was in charge of their students. And even though I was in college, I did deal with a lot of parents, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of there. But one of the things I learned when I was teaching the students and also advising them through picking projects for their other courses was that art was something that was interesting to all of them. I had a lot of artwork hanging up in my office ridiculous stuff like that Jesus scroll painting that that woman in Spain completely messed up. I had that hanging in my office. I had a large uh, MC Escher print in my office and students are always talking about that and talking about what art they were interested in. And so I would say like, well, you know, if you're coming up with an idea for a project to learn this thing. Why don't you do something that's art related? And they'd be like, Oh, I can, I can do art. I love art. Oh, but like, can I do that with code? And I'm like, that's what I think all the time. And that's how I got into doing what I'm doing. And the interesting about art is that it's something that we've all been involved with in some way, because it's very broad creativity, since we were much younger, as opposed to when we were writing code. I always say that, like, when you're born, you know, when you get your first toy, 
It's usually like a set of blocks and you use it to build things. And little kids don't take blocks and try to build structures that are sound. We're just like building them to make it look like something. We're just trying to create something. We're not given a computer and told here, make a JavaScript application. Um, although that would be a hilarious way of parenting. I see that happening in five years, just like giving your kid a computer and saying like, do something with it. But yeah, so art is an easy gateway into anything and something that we're more used to. And I feel like we feel more comfortable with. So why not use it to teach code? And I have been for years and it's worked. So art and code. Yes. So do you think there's something unique about JavaScript that makes it uh, my impression is there's more interest in art and, and making and consuming art in the JavaScript community than in some other technology communities. Do you think that's true? And why do you think that is? I mean, you mentioned you wanted to learn JavaScript originally because you thought the community seemed really cool. And I, I guess I'm um, the implication is that it seemed cool and aligned with your interests around art. Is that the case? It was more that I felt like it was a lot more diverse than like the PHP and Java communities. I followed women developers and most of them were into JavaScript. Um, the people that I knew were making art with code were doing mostly JavaScript stuff and processing was getting really popular, which is Java based, but then like resin came out with processing JS. And, and so I saw people using that. And then just, there's so many JavaScript developers in the New York area that are all like my really good friends now. And I just like, felt more at home with them than I did otherwise. And I think that the reason why I got into it with art is mostly because it's just like, it's portable. You know what I mean? Like when I was teaching workshops to kids, I was, I used to teach workshops to middle school girls and we were using this language, Alice, which is this like visual click and drag object oriented programming thing that came out of Stanford, which is really awesome. Um, it wasn't really portable. I used to have to have the system administrator install this like on all the machines. And that was like kind of a nightmare. But when it came to teaching more intermediate stuff, instead of worrying about like the JVM being installed everywhere, I was like, well, I could just do JavaScript in the console. And that way I don't have that like roadblock in front of me waiting for people to set up the machines. And if you've ever worked in a university or taught in a university, it is a huge pain in the butt to get what you want installed on those machines because it's not even just putting in a request, but you usually have to argue with somebody who's just there for the sake of arguing to explain to them, this is why I need this installed on this machine. Uh, it's like you have to you, pass a test of like a feat of strength or something. Right. They'll be like, well, why do you need Ruby on this machine? Because I said so. But, like, that's not, like, an acceptable argument to them. But if you say it three times, usually it'll get done. But that was just something that I encountered. So JavaScript was just super easy. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. It's really easy to jump into a JavaScript tutorial because the first three parts of it isn't installing stuff for it and trying to get it to work on your machine. It's open up your browser. Here's this keyboard shortcut or command or click on this menu and you have dev tools open. Here's the console. Write some friggin' JavaScript. Agreed. But the real question is, why are you using Grunt? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's like I, the final evolution of well, actually. Yeah, well, no, I, well, actually, that's, it's, it's a good question. You know, why do we use anything? A really important part of technology is holding on to one type of tool and arguing about it forever and ever until we all die off. So why choose Grunt? I don't know. I found myself using, I use a lot of things. I try to use everything. Like I just got into using Ember CLI because I just started making an Ember app like literally last week. And Ember CLI uses broccoli and I've been getting into that and I enjoy that. And so maybe my next project I'll like use Gulp or I won't. I don't know. It's it's really interesting the, the why I use this over that because people consider it like a personal attack sometimes on other people. Like, oh, you use Grunt because you work with Ben Allman and you don't like Contra, but actually I'm good friends with Contra and like this has nothing to do with personal relationships. This is about JavaScript, which is like really weird. I don't know if it's like that in other communities. I'm sure it is, but that's just a really interesting thing. I shouldn't have to think about who's going to be offended by me using one tool over another when I'm creating a project. I should be that's thinking about the client or the end user. No, you got to move to Python, because in Python, there's a benevolent dictator that says, hey, guys, guess what? This way works pretty well. And everybody just says, cool, let's do that. Isn't Whereas that in JavaScript, you're like, hey, guys, this works pretty well. And everybody else is like, Dr. Cockford's an idiot. 
Well, isn't Rails like that, too? You mean the benevolent dictator kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, not as much. With Ruby, the programming language, it, you know, more is the benevolent dictator kind of thing. And so what Matt's puts into Ruby, you know, some of the things we may complain about, but we ultimately wind up just dealing with it. As far as Rails goes, a lot of people argue with David over what he puts in it. And if we're unhappy about what he puts in it, a lot of times there's some way or some alternative to take it out and do something different. So, yeah, it just it depends. And I've also seen that some communities get really vocal about, you know, which tool or which library you use and which doesn't. I mean, I have my fingers in AngularJS, iOS, Ruby on Rails, and JavaScript in general. And, you know, the different communities just tend to react differently to different things. And so, you know, it it just really depends. I think grunt gulp is one of the more common arguments that I see where people get really worked up over it. Occasionally I see something worked up over like IDEs versus text editors or Emacs yeah. versus Vim. Yeah. But, you know, eventually, I don't know, at the end of the day for I think a lot of people, it really doesn't matter what you use unless you're making me use it too. Right. You don't want to like, you don't want to force anybody into to something. And then that like plays into the, when you're making something, you know, are you going to allow users to contribute to it? I remember when Ghost came out and I, like found something that I could fix in their editor. And I was looking at how they said that you had to set it up. And, and it was like my first time really working with Vagrant. And it was just like really hard for me to actually get working. And so I just was like, eh, this is too much work to like do it their way. So someone else will fix it, I'm sure. And that's something that I try to avoid doing in my projects. But it's really hard. Like making it art is like, pretty crappy if you want to like jump into it and contribute to it i think other people have said that it's fine it's not that big of an application the bigger more complicated of course things get harder but i always say that if i ever go back to graduate school i would get a degree in something that lets me study how these different communities within javascript interact with each other like some sort of sociological study on why people fight for something that somebody else made just because they use it? Like, is it because you really care that much about the tool or is it because it's just something that you feel like is right? And we have this like unrelenting need to always be correct, even if our ideas are conflicting. That's just something interesting that I love to observe, which is why I haven't quit Twitter yet. There's just so much of that going on to watch. (laughs) Twitter's a great place for certainty. Yeah. So you do make ape.art, art, but are there other pieces like art related pieces of technology that you find accomplish the same goal of trying to get people interested, keep people interested in programming through art? I think that the processing community is really awesome. A lot of generative art creation and also like tutorials for getting people involved in creating art with processing has been pretty cool. Um, there's lots of galleries that show things that have been made. They have the Processing JS project. During the one hour of code where they p- try to promote schools to teach students like one hour of code every year, Processing comes out with really good tutorials to get kids into making stuff. And it's like you work an hour, you write a few lines of code, and you have this really cool moving shape. And it's visual and it's fun to look at. And it's like a final product. As opposed to if you like give a kid a JavaScript framework and is like, see what you can make in an hour. You know what I mean? It won't be anything as flashy and fun that you can show everybody with just one hour. So the instant gratification of processing, I think, has really been great and is also what drew me into using JavaScript to write code. Another art community I'm really into are Twitter bots. Twitter bots, there are lots of people who make these really cool Twitter bots that will create generative sentences and essays and and art and there's just like a bunch of them out there that are really cool and that's a really cool medium using a twitter bot and not all of them are javascript based some are php there's a lot of like bot applications out there and they usually open source all of them and that's pretty cool that's cool so i want to go back to the uh hour code i did a whole bunch of i did like six hour code events ran six hour of code events with my daughter who's a high schooler during the uh computer science week and all the stuff that we used was not necessarily i mean it was cool and interesting to kids we did the frozen there was a frozen game that they could play and then there was this thing called code combat 
But I didn't actually, I hadn't noticed any more artistic, like, let them play around and create their own art type stuff. So you're saying that there actually is some stuff on there that has been done for the Hour of Code, right? Yeah, yeah. Processing.org, I think, is the site that usually shows that stuff. Interesting. So I'm also very interested in this whole idea of, you know, art as a way to get people into or keep them into computer programming. My daughter got into computer programming because she wanted to customize her Tumblr page, right? I got into it for making Weezer fan sites on GeoCities and then also pimping MySpace pages. So, <laughs> oh, you're showing your age. I remember hacking. <laughs> I remember hacking on GeoCities. That means you're as old as I am, <laughs> which isn't as old as Joe is. I guess I don't know. No, not as old as me. I'm ancient. Yeah, so... he he used to code uphill both ways, but <laughs> in three feet of snow. <laughs> I actually coded the pyramids. Oh, there you go. That was you, huh? That was me. I, I, back when you could only code in black and white. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, that actually existed. There was a time when you could only code in black and white because monochrome monitors. I was more of a green and white guy myself. Well, green, green and black. It wasn't black and white. It was green and black. But close. Still. Practically the same thing. So that's very cool. Have you been involved in like the R code and seen much in the way of like kids using art as a way to get kids into programming not just you know keeping adults as, as into it uh so so the workshop that i did with middle school girls there's two kinds that i did one was programming and one was hardware the hardware one i would teach them how to build computers by bringing two computers that i built while i was in college and they're like ginormous old Dell machines that like I tore apart and added my own parts to and spray painted pink and covered in stickers like I do with everything I own now. And I would have them take apart these computers and at first they'd be like, what if we break it? I'd be like, it's fine, you won't break it. But like I would have them like take out the parts and compare them to like the smaller form factor machine and show them that like the insides of a computer isn't as scary. And then I'd be like, okay, now you know how to build a computer, like you should do this workshop and we'll like learn how to program them. And the hardware one, we used art because I couldn't afford to have them build their own computers. There was like 15 of them and it was geared towards middle school girls, but boys were invited and, and they did, they did go. And it was a really cool, inclusive group. And we used to make computers out of craft items. So I'd buy like these oven roasting pans and I would like spray paint the bottom of them with like green chalkboard paint. And like they would use chalk to draw circuits. And there's like a CD jewel case that acted as like the CD drive. And so we were sort of handcrafting these computers. And their favorite part was naming the computer because that's the most important part of building a machine is naming it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, the software aspect of the other workshop I did was using Alice which is like a storytelling tool that teaches object-oriented programming. So storytelling, I think, is one of the greatest forms of art. I love telling stories, and I love being told stories, and kids do too. And so they can have a character, like, for example, a penguin, and then they can drag, like, methods or, you know, states and behaviors to the penguin. Like, penguin skates over to the princess, princess says hello and like they're dragging and dropping and they're creating this story this like episode and then when they execute it it plays the story like they watch this like 3d like cartoon happen in front of them and they built it they created it and they visually see what the code looks like but they didn't have to type it they just had to drag and drop stuff so you get a good understanding of like very early ides that are more visual um, teaching things like like Java. I remember when I when I learned Java, I was using the JGrasp IDE, which is mostly text based, and then the university moved to something called BlueJ, which is like very visual. And so Alice is sort of a balance between the two, but geared towards younger kids. And so like storytelling as an art was something that I got them into. Um, and then it still ended with a cool animation, and we all love animated stuff. So hmm. that's awesome. I want to change uh, tactics a little bit because you've got this other interesting project called uh, VART. Yes, VART.institute. Do you want to explain what that is? Sure. VART.institute is a project, an art writing and code project that I started a couple of months ago where I learn and teach about art using JavaScript. 
So what I do is I, I pick an artist that I feel connected to in some sort of way, on some sort of personal level, because I write very personal essays about them um, and how they tie into me, usually through storytelling. And then I take one of their pieces of art or a time period of their artwork, and I generate some sort of app using JavaScript that either recreates their artwork or allows you to recreate something in their style. So... My first post was about Piet Mondrian, who's a Dutch artist who makes these very distinct grid-based paintings with primary colors. Uh, I'm sure you might not like recognize the name and put an art to the name, but you've seen this stuff. It's been very well commodified, and, and actually his stuff enters public domain next year, so we're going to see even more of like his stuff on just like junk like plates at Target have his type of artwork <laughs> on it. You know what I mean? Just I'm like sure every, love it. everywhere. Um Katy Perry had a music video and like one of the scenes is very Mondrian inspired. Like her dress and her hair was put in this like grid like and primary color sort of stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, there goes Mondrian. And so I wrote I wrote about him, how I got into the project, and then I created a Mondrian grid generator using JavaScript, which is like just recursively nesting tables within one another and then randomly coloring different cells with red, yellow, or blue, which was his style. And other artists I've done since then are Rene Magritte and Henri Matisse. Matisse, I created an app that lets you create paper cutout-like artwork like his, because the final years of his life, he made collages with paper he cut out and had his assistants cut out for him. Uh, and it's showing at the Museum of Modern Art here in New York City until February. It actually ends, I think, the day before my birthday. And so I created um, a post about that time period of his life and a generator so that you can make paper cutout art in the computer with JavaScript. So yeah, uh, it's a it's a really interesting project for me. It takes a lot of work. It's really challenging because I try to I have to find artists that I really feel a connection to in some sort of way. And it's new to me. Fine art is new to me. And so instead of using art to teach programming, I'm trying to turn the tables and teach art using programming because I feel like I can learn a lot more about art. And this project forces me to do that. And it also has the readers who are mostly programmers learn about fine art as well. Interesting. I love that JavaScript enables that intersection. Um, it kind of reminds me of if Hemingway wrote JavaScript, that book that Angus Curl wrote, in that it's for programmers, but it's about famous authors. And it introduced me to a lot of literature that I wasn't familiar with, which is cool. Yeah, that is like one of the greatest JavaScript books written ever, if Hemingway wrote JavaScript. That was yeah, actually one of awesome. my picks, because, yeah, it's a great... Actually, no, 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 actually, because the VART project was greatly inspired by Angus. Him and I have had lots of talks about the intersection of creativity and code. And this is something that was sort of frowned upon because there are a lot of developers that take themselves way too seriously. I know this because I tell lots of jokes about development and get yelled at on the internet <laughs> the time for it. Uh, but also the same thing happens with like art and code. And now we see more and more people getting into it. And so the idea of him writing a book about literature and JavaScript isn't so outlandish anymore. And, and I feel like it's doing pretty well. But yeah, I, Vart was very much inspired by if Hemingway wrote JavaScript. It was sort of like, okay, well, you're, you're teaching like JavaScript using literature. I want to do the same thing with art. And so, yeah. So sometimes people ask me, how can I learn to code? And inevitably my response is something along the lines of, well, what's a problem that you want to solve? Because the only way that you'll learn to code is if you have a problem and you have to learn to code to solve it. So mm -hmm. when someone doesn't have a problem, I have a hard time like helping them learn to code because it's like, well, you can go to one of these sites, but you'll find it boring if you're just doing this tutorial for the sake of doing a tutorial if you don't know what problem you want to solve. But it sounds like maybe you could pose a different question in terms of like art or games or fun rather than in terms of productivity. Does that, I mean, what, what would you say if somebody says, I think I want to learn to code? How would you direct them? I'd say don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. a lot simpler. I like that answer. Don't even. No, so now when, when I was, uh, this takes me back to my department administrator days where I would have to recruit students that I thought were really bright and try to poach them from other departments like business. 
and they'd be like, well, I want to learn a program, but I don't know where to start. And that's like that the same happens for me. Like, oh, I don't know where to start to teach you to program because there's so many different learning types. What I usually would tell them is find something that you like online that you use and try to recreate it in your own way. I've had a lot of students that I've like mentored over the years who have found me through some of my art projects. I had this one early project where I made a xylophone at a CSS. And when you click the little things on the xylophone, it would play a sound and JavaScript is used to play the noise on these click events. And someone had emailed me and they're like, Oh, I wanted to learn JavaScript and CSS. So I figured I'd make a musical instrument and I was going to make a xylophone. So I Google searched JavaScript xylophone CSS to see if someone else did it already. And I saw that you did. What should I make? And I was like, well, why don't you just try to recreate what I made? You could probably do it better because I did this a couple of years ago. And that's what like, they ended up doing. So reinventing the wheel, I'm a huge proponent of that. I feel like, you know, there's all these JavaScript frameworks that people are making, all these builders and task runners that people are creating. And everyone's like, oh, everyone keeps creating another thing, blah, blah, blah. But that's how we learn. You know, we know the tools that we want. We might have an issue with them or we just like want to recreate it so that we learn because that's how a lot of us have learned JavaScript is by building the tools that we've created for other developers to use. So when someone comes out with another JavaScript framework, I don't really like roll my eyes. I'm just like, oh, you know, they probably just want to learn how to do that. And that's cool. I don't have to use it. That's the thing. Like people, when a new framework comes out and everyone's like, oh, like another one I have to learn. Like you don't have to learn everything. I don't know why people think that that's like a thing. There's lots of things besides programming that we can learn, like how to communicate with other human beings is a start. Oh, we can't do that. No, that's like... Too busy it's programming. Way, it's way beyond our pay grade. <laughs> well, what does communication have to do with code anyway? Right? Yeah. I think, I think if you pick the right JavaScript framework, then you don't have to communicate anymore. That's the dream. Oh, that's it. Got it. Yeah. It abstracts away communication. Yeah. Right, I could write a bot to do my communicating for me. Because writing like, any sufficiently complicated program isn't a people problem, is it? Mm-mm. The Twitter bot people have something going for them. They don't even have to like create their own content. They just have bots do it. So uh, I, I kind of want to build one now just for the heck of it. Yeah, so you should do that, and then you'll probably learn something, and that will be cool, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of like Joe. There's nothing left for me to learn. Yeah, you know what? Like, I, I'm kind of over-programming entirely. Like, I feel like all these languages have really tapped out, and everything that we need to be built has been built already. So if we're all just recreating the wheel over and over again, then we should just stop and move on to something else. Yeah. Lumberjack. Yeah, I want to write a Twitter bot that's that, whose name rhymes with, rhymes with fart. <laughs> anyway, Jameson, did you have another question? I did. What a fantastic transition, Chuck. So uh, I want to talk about your Medium post or your Medium blog a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you think that sometimes programmers take themselves a little too seriously. All the time. My impression is that your satire is trying to like shove their faces in that fact and make people realize like maybe this isn't the most important thing in the world and it's okay to laugh at. Is that the goal of it or is it just to kind of mess with people? There was no, like, goal when I started writing satire. It was more like I just loved telling jokes, and I would write it to my friend, former coworker at the NBA, Nick. And then I started publishing it, and I saw the reactions, and then I was able to, like, throw it in their faces. And then it became like, okay, there's an end game to all of this. So I write a satirical post. It gets some laughs. Some people yell at me, and I yell back at them and teach them that, like, hey, you shouldn't be a jerk just because you think somebody was wrong about something. Because nobody, like, yells at me about writing satire. They yell at me thinking that I'm serious and that I don't know what I'm talking about. And then they're jerks. That happens to me all the time. You should see, like, the comments for this JS Jabber thing on my Twitter feed. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, and I always say that, like, that stuff doesn't upset me when people call me an idiot or I don't know what I'm talking about because they're talking about a character. I get upset that that's how they act towards people who are trying to be sincere. So if people were saying that stuff about VART, I would be very, very upset because VART is a very personal project. I put a lot of work into it. Medium posts usually take me 10 to 15 minutes to write, and it's like right off the cuff. 
most of the time is following the responses and responding to those responses. But there are people who will write sincere blog posts and then get that sort of flack. Or you guys have a podcast and you put all this work into it and then like people are immediately jumping on your case because you know they think you're wrong about something. But there are ways to communicate with humans that is constructive, doesn't make you look like an asshole, and it doesn't make someone feel like garbage. Go figure. But we're developers, so we don't need to know how to talk to other humans. We've already been through that. Agreed. All right. Well, should we go ahead and do some picks? I want to ask before we do that, just about Jen's speaking schedule. I know you speak a lot. Yeah, I spoke a lot this past year. And I, I was telling someone the other day, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like tone it down next year. And then I started listing everywhere I was speaking, and I was like, shit, like I'm all over the place. <laughs> I just got back from JS Fest, where I ran DHTMLConf, which is like a satirical conference about the web in the year 2000, which was a lot of fun. I got to curate it and pick the speakers. I ended up giving the keynotes when my speakers dropped out last minute, and that was fun. The next time I'm speaking is in March at jQuerryConf Oxford. I'm going to be talking about VART. I am scheduled to speak at LoopConf in May, I think it is. That's the word, the first like WordPress developer conference that's in Vegas. And in October... I'm speaking at JSConf Columbia, not the university, the country. And there are a couple of other places, but my main focus this year will be creating more art. I'm going to be the artist in residency at the Ace Hotel in New York for a day in January. And so for a day, I'll just like be making art, probably not on the computer. And I'm excited about that. And I'm looking forward to doing more things that are non-digital art related. Because again, I'm going to eventually one day just decide that there's nothing left to be programmed. I'll just like make art for the rest of my life. Attack a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you knew this, but I'm actually one of the organizers for loop comp. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm super excited about that. Cause I've spoken at a bunch of word camps. I spoke at WordCamp SF back in October and it's word camps are great because they're super diverse, but that's also the problem with them. I was going to give a, pretty technical talk. And then my coworker, Kadam was going to be giving a talk about the WordPress API. And I was like, okay, well, that's a really technical talk. Everyone that's technical is going to go to that talk. And I'll be left with people who aren't maybe aren't so technical, like the bloggers and, and theme designers and stuff like that. So I had to like sort of tone down my talk fairly last minute to accommodate that. And it worked out really well. I'm kind of excited that at this conference I can go like full technical and, and talk about the nitty gritty of some uh, cool things that involve art that I'm building with WordPress. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited for it too. So it was a really big deal that when Ryan told us that you were going to be speaking at it, we were really excited. Yeah, you better make it fun for me. <laughs> Do our best. Cool. Well, um, anything else that people should know about you before we move on? I am a figment of your imagination. And that's it. Also, you know, you can find me on Twitter. Jen Shipper is my handle. It gets pretty weird there sometimes. Feel free to unfollow or mute me. But don't tell me that you're unfollowing me because nobody cares. And then vart.institute. That's the domain for my art blog. The next one coming out in January will be my first lady artist, Mary Cassatt, an American Impressionist painter. I'm still not entirely sure what I'm going to generate because impressionist painting is kind of hard to generate in JavaScript, but that's for me to figure out and hopefully you to enjoy in about a month. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. AJ, do you want to start us off with picks? So I've got a great lineup today. First and foremost, vat19.com, home of the Happy Lawn Gnome and Doss Horn. And I highly recommend watching the music video for Das Horn because it will completely sell you. I was going to get one for Christmas, but they were all sold out. And I see that they're now back in stock. So I expect they'll still be back in stock by the time people hear this. Also, in the terms of utility, little useful little gadgets. So if you have a MacBook, you may have discovered that every time you stick in a USB key, it takes up like seven of your USB ports because for some reason they have to make them like 11,000 times wider than they need to be. And there are exactly two USB key brands that don't look like cheap crap that you should get on Amazon. So 
I'll include the links for those. They have a slender one that's easy to pull out, and then a really slender one that is not as easy to pull out, but is even more slender. But both of them are very slender, and you could put two in at the same time on your MacBook without them touching each other and interfering. And then I'm also... I've gotten to a bad habit of playing video games again, in case you can't tell from picks over the weeks. And after finishing... Uh, Link Between Worlds, I, I had to find a new addiction, and I picked up Mario & Luigi Dream Team. And for those of you that have loved the greatest RPG of all time, which many people don't even know about, which is Super Mario RPG, if you're a fan of, like, the earlier Final Fantasies and you're a fan of, like, family-friendly RPGs, I highly recommend checking that out for the Super Nintendo or on an emulator or whatever. But Mario & Luigi Dream Team kind of has that same fun feel an RPG style that Super Mario RPG had. It's not like Paper Mario and that it isn't super 2D. It's quasi 3D like Super Mario RPG was. And, and I, I'm like a, an hour and a half, two hours into it and I like it so far. So hmm. the end. Awesome. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. Pick number one for me is going to be the TV show Gotham been watching that recently and I really do enjoy it. I've had a fun time. I thought I was going to hate it because I like superhero movies, not movies that happen to be set in the same place as superheroes or shows, I mean, but not ones set in the same place that aren't about superheroes, but I actually really like this uh, show. It's been very interesting. So Gotham's pick number one and pick number two is a book slash website called a smarter way to learn.com, which is all about learning JavaScript. And it's kind of like Code Academy in that there's online exercises that you do, except unlike Code Academy, their online exercises actually have a lot of variety to them. And they start off from absolute zero. So if you know nothing about programming, nothing about JavaScript, this is an awesome way to learn JavaScript. I'm having my daughter go through it to get better at JavaScript. And she's really appreciate. She's already done Code Academy, and so doing this, she's found that it's really cool and a great way to learn JavaScript. So that's going to be my. And this, you can pick up the ebook off Amazon, and then that gives you free access to the website. So a smarter way to learn. dot com. That's my second and final pick. All right, I've got a pick this week. It is, and I picked this on the other shows, but I'm just I'm really enjoying it. It's called Becoming a Key Person of Influence. It's a book. And I think this is especially relevant for people who either want to kind of move up in certain areas of their field and be able to influence the conversation. And I think it's also very relevant to freelancers in finding a niche and kind of uh, being the person in that niche that people go to to get solutions. So anyway, I'm 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 really enjoying it. I'm about 50% of the way through. I almost never read actual book books. And this one I've been reading on the Kindle instead of listening to on Audible because it's not there. So it's so good that I'm actually reading it. Let me put it that way. So that's my pick. Jen, do you have some picks for us? I do, yes. So we already talked about If Hemingway Wrote JavaScript by Angus Kroll. That's one of my favorite books that have come out recently. So it's out on No Starch Press, which is one of my favorite publishers. Um, so nostarch.com slash HemingwayJS. If you like to read, or like if you like literature and programming, or you like just either one of those, it's just really interesting to learn the intersection of them. And it's beautifully illustrated. The guy who wrote Learn You a Haskell for Great Good um, illustrated this book, and it's just beautifully made. So it's like a good gift. It's not like a like an O'Reilly book, which just has like an illustration on the cover or whatever. Adobe Creative Suite 3, specifically Photoshop, which came out in 2007. I just had to install that on my computer today because I couldn't get Creative Cloud to work. So shout out to CS3. Um, you could probably buy that on eBay. I mentioned before that I just started using Ember CLI for an Ember app I just started working on. I was doing some Ember stuff with the MBA, but like CLI wasn't available. And I kind of just really like this project. Um, and I met Stefan Penner at Brooklyn JS, a meetup last week when I started, the day I started using CLI, he was there. And uh, I told him I love the project. And he was like, if you you know have any issues, make a pull request. Like he, It seems like they're very open to community contributions, which is really refreshing and awesome. So yeah, Ember CLI. The only issue I have with Ember CLI is the website, embercli.com has a hyphen. 
in it. I hate hyphens and domains, but what can you do? And my last shout-out and pick is there's this really interesting entrepreneur up-and-coming named Mark Andreessen. He's P. Marka on Twitter. He likes really nuanced tweets, usually by the dozens, um, so you should follow him. And yeah, that's it. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming. We Like we said in the chat, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so this has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, I had a fun, too. Hey, you're kind of a fun person to talk to, so we really appreciate you coming on the show, and hopefully the Good listeners job. enjoy it, too. Yeah, they better. Yeah, no kidding. All right, well, uh, we'll wrap up the show then. We'll catch you all next week. Have you noticed that a lot of developers always land the job they interview for? Are you worried that someone else just landed your dream job? John Sonmez can show you how to do this with the course, How to Market Yourself as a Software Developer. Go to devcareerboost.com and sign up using the code JJABBER to get $100 off. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.